to the apostles. Observing things properly, being connected to the right people, saying the right words, wearing the right clothes, being in the right sort of building. Uh, tradition becomes a form of authority. And where that emphasis uh, is placed, you generally have Catholicism, Roman Catholicism, or other forms of kind of churchy institutionalism. But other people come along and say, well, no, neither of those two ways are secure enough ways of knowing God. We need to actually use our minds. And so reason is the final authority, particularly as you look at the creation and you can look down the microscope or up the telescope and you can get to know God that way. You can think about what God is like and where reason dominates, there you have liberal Christianity. Now, I have generalised there and obviously a lot of churches and Christians will have a kind of overlap of those different things. But I've done that deliberately so you can see the difference between those three forms of knowing God and what I'm calling the revelation of God, which actually comes to us in the gospel. And that's that, um, the, the sort of the, the circle in the middle. Sometimes uh, people use the word evangelical to describe this form of Christianity, and that's fine, that's what it is. To be an evangelical Christian is to put the emphasis, to have your authority in the revelation of God over and above the other things. And you can see, hopefully, the difference between the revelation of God and those other three is that revelation is what God gives us and the other three are what we do to know God. And it's not that reason, tradition and experience play no role, but it's where you place the final authority. You might want to think about this as you study the Bible, even this evening. What role do experience, reason and tradition play? Well, they all play a role. It's impossible to be a Christian without experiencing something as you believe the gospel. And as we learn in 1 Peter, we are born anew. That is an experience that it's impossible to surpass, isn't it? To actually have the experience of hearing God speak and knowing that you are one of his people and knowing for sure that you are born into that new creation eternity. That's experience, isn't it? You're never going to surpass that experience. Uh, reason also plays a role because we're going to use our brains to understand the Bible. And we're going to adopt a posture about the Bible where we're saying, actually, no, the Bible can't contradict itself. And so we're going to have to use our brains to, to work out how the Bible speaks. And then tradition as well. Uh, tradition plays a role because we're going to, we're going to listen to each other uh, in a Bible study and different experiences and different uh, lessons that have been learned through life. And as you study the Bible, you start to listen to what people have said in history in the past. And that is tradition. So all of those roles play, all those uh, methods play a role. But the authority is what God himself has said. And so last week, I think we talked about Mary and Martha. And we said that Jesus speaks to these two sisters and he says to Mary... Uh, about Mary, that she has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away. What is the better thing she'd chosen? She'd chosen to sit listening to Jesus. And Jesus said that was all that mattered in the end. And what that means is if we think that we need something other than the Bible to know God, Jesus thinks differently. If we think there is some higher power, some greater experience... 
Jesus thinks differently. If we think there is some silver bullet to growing the church other than the word of God, Jesus thinks differently. If we think the Bible is just one of several ways we can experience God and grow as Christians, then Jesus thinks differently. If we think that what really matters is actions rather than words, then Jesus thinks differently. And if we think in this postmodern age that actually words have become a little bit outdated and untrustworthy, then Jesus thinks differently. Because he says to Martha, Mary has chosen what is better and that is listening to his words. And so we came up with this sentence last week, we shall keep coming back to and explaining and unpacking that Christianity is the word of God bringing about faith in Christ by the spirit of God. The word of God bringing about faith in Christ by the spirit of God. All three persons of the Trinity involved and there's an order uh, which is important. However, and Chloe, can I just get rid of that for now and come back to it? Is that all right? Just blanket for us. Thanks. Um, that is a big claim to make. And I want to start unpacking it this week with the question, why must God speak? Why is it the case that God must speak? In other words, looking at the diagram, why must it be a top-down revelation? Why can't we discover God for ourselves? Well, one part of the Bible that helps us with this is Psalm 19. So I wonder if you just turn in your Bibles to Psalm 19. Because there we see a suggestion that we might be able to come to know God from the world, from creation. If someone wants to shout out a page number for those blue Bibles, that would be handy. 552, thank you. 552 in the blue Bible, Psalm 19. Have a look how it begins. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. At first sight it looks, doesn't it, from those verses that we can know God from the creation. That language of the voice, speech, hearing. It seems that we can discover God from looking around the creation. But is this the case? Well, let me tell you about our TV when I was younger. We had a very small black and white television. You may have seen something like this in a museum. It's got a sort of a knob that you turn to tune in to what we would call the station. And to watch your favourite TV programme, you had to kind of very, very delicately tune in this knob. Now, I'm making myself sound very old here, but in actual fact, our families were extremely late adopters. And everyone else on our street had a colour TV. We were left with this black and white thing that you had to tune in. Now, this wasn't a massive problem because there were only three channels in those days. And uh, we weren't allowed to watch ITV for various reasons. And so it was either BBC One or BBC Two. That was what was on offer. But when you've planned to watch The Muppets on a Sunday night and all you can get is Doctor Who, that is a problem when you're seven years old. So there's a problem with the TV that could be explained by one of two problems. It could be the receiver. So it could be the TV itself. And our TV had this little kind of wire aerial like a coat hanger sticking out the top. 
And so to get the Muppets to work instead of Doctor Who, you would bang the top of the telly, you would fiddle with the area, you would get your brother to stand in a particular place in the room to act as a human aerial. And if that didn't work, then you knew the problem wasn't with the receiver. It was with the transmitter. And if the problem is with the transmitter, which was a, a big sort of aerial broadcasting five miles out of the town, there's nothing you can do. You're watching Doctor Who instead of the Muppets. Now the question when it comes to knowing God is this. Is our problem with the receiver or the transmitter? Have a look at Psalm 19 again and work it out. Day after day, the creation is pouring forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. And so why don't people believe in God? If the creation is pouring forth this speech, why isn't everybody a believer? 30 seconds with your neighbour. Try and work out why that might be the case. Okay, 30 seconds up. Hopefully you came up with... um, The answer that it's the receiver that's the problem, not the transmitter. That's the basic answer you should have come up with. Now, what is wrong with the receiver? If the revelation is so clear, what's wrong with the receiver? Well, two things. Firstly, because we are creatures. That is, we are not God. And we are different to God. And the word theologians sometimes use for this is transcendent. God is transcendent, which just means he is above us. Now, how above us is he is, is, is the mind-stretching question. Because the cosmonaut Yuri Gagarin, the first man in space, was reputed to have said, I looked and looked but could not see God. He was an atheist. And he was a fool. Because no one is claiming that God is this huge version of ourselves perched on a cloud waiting to be discovered. He's not transcendent in that sense. He is transcendent in an infinitely more transcendent sense. He's totally above us. He's invisible. Uh, uh, Jeremiah 23, 23. Am I only a God nearby, declares the Lord? Am I not a God far away? He says that to a people who've taken him for granted, who've started to domesticate him and treat him like a pet. Or Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2 on the sheet, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love it. But God has revealed it to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. And last week I I said, can you guess what my favourite meal would be? My favourite ice cream. Could you guess it by chopping me in half and giving me a brain scan or testing my pulse or any kind of way like that? No, you couldn't have to tell you. And it's the same with God. He has to tell us his thoughts. He has to reveal himself. We can't discover him. But what about that revelation in creation? Well, the second problem over the page is because we are sinners. The second problem we'll see in Romans 1, just leave a finger or something in Psalm 19 because we'll pop back to Psalm 19 towards the end, but just flip over to Romans 1. Now just remember what Psalm 19 said, the creation is pouring forth speech, so why don't we understand it? Well, look at what Paul says in Romans 1, 18 to 22. 
He says the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. Psalm 19 is absolutely right. The creation does indeed witness to the glory and power of God. The problem is we do not respond to this revelation as we should. We see the revelation with our eyes. We can all watch the David Attenborough and be amazed at the intricacy and the fecundity and the beauty of the natural order. But do we come to the right conclusion? No, because we are wicked and rebellious in our hearts. We don't want naturally to bow down to God as creator. And Paul says that rebellion in our hearts leads us to do two things with the revelation that God has given us. On the one hand, we suppress the truth, verse 18. We pretend that he is not there at all. Or on the other hand, we pay so much attention to the creation that we actually worship the creation itself instead of the creator. Verse 21, for although they knew God, They neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Though they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Of course there is a revelation from God in creation. How can there not be? How could anyone rationally believe that all of this came about by chance? But we cannot grasp the truth because we do not want to grasp the truth. And so Psalm 19 declares without irony, the heavens declare the glory of God. But we are not listening. That's the problem. And therefore, those three avenues to knowing God, experience, reason and tradition, they cannot ever Give us a proper knowledge of God. God must reveal himself to us. And that is what he's done in the gospel. So final passage, you can leave Romans and flip over to 2 Corinthians 4, 1 to 9. Just turn right in your Bibles and someone's going to shout out a page number. 2 Corinthians 4, 1 to 7. Now having done that work, this should come as a great relief. Have a look at what Paul says. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 1. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the mind of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ to his image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. There's a lot we could unpack in that paragraph, but the key is the last couple of verses. That 
as the gospel of Christ is preached and believed, something remarkable happens. Something that Paul actually says is as powerful as the original creation. Remember when God made the world, he spoke and the creation came into being? And he says that is what it takes to turn our blindness into sight, to turn our ignorance into knowledge, to turn our idolatry of the creation into a true worship of the creator. God comes to us in the gospel and powerfully speaks so that we actually see in our hearts the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the revelation of God. And that revelation, as we'll see in future weeks, applies to the whole Bible. And we'll see how that is the case. So if you're a Christian tonight, Ember and I briefly shared our stories. You've got your story. But all of those stories are the same in this respect. That one way or another, however the gospel reached your ears, you came to know God by hearing and responding to the good news of Jesus Christ. And if you've never put your faith in the message of Jesus, you've not yet encountered God. It is as we hear the words of God and believe them that we actually know God. It is that simple. But as I say, this is going to be applied to the whole Bible. We're going to see that this power of God to reveal comes to us as we open the words of Scripture. Which if you were here last Sunday morning is the promises of God in the Old Testament fulfilled in Christ. That's the Bible story. And so the whole Bible takes the power and the form of the gospel. And we're going to be spending some time this term thinking about the implications of that. One implication, of course, is what Emma and I were talking about. How do you see a church grow? We turned up in Lancaster with 12 people and we wanted to see this church grow and survive and thrive. How do you do that? Imagine how stressful that could be if you didn't trust in the word. That's what we did. We trusted in God's word to grow his church, to do his work. Not trusting in the word leads you to all sorts of problems. Well, hopefully you've got Psalm 19 open. Just flip back there now as we uh, conclude. First six verses tells us that God speaks in creation. But we've seen that that word is ambiguous when it lands in the hearts of sinful men and women. But once we have the revelation of God, look how clear the revelation is. Verse 7. The law of the Lord, by which he means the written revelation of God in the Bible. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They're sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. I want to conclude with the words of a children's song we sometimes sing at Morlands. I think it's by Dr. Rocktree. We haven't sung it for a little while. And it goes like this. God speaks, we listen. 
Got to hear his words every day. That's it. God speaks. We listen. Got to hear his words every day. And like many children's songs, the profundity is going to stick with us. And I think that is one of the most profound ones because it really summarises the shape of the Christian life. God speaks. We listen. Got to hear his word every day. Don't get more clear than that, do you? God speaks. We've seen tonight that God is a speaking God. He is generous in his speech. Have you ever had one of these conversations? Maybe, maybe sometime in Freshers' Week you've been talking to someone who just doesn't want to give anything away. They don't want to speak. Really hard going, isn't it? Someone you're trying to get to know, someone you're trying to relate to and they just, they just don't want to speak. There's a generosity about God that actually reveals himself to us. And the fundamental shape of Christianity is that God is a speaker. He wants to relate to us. And he has created human language. And he's given us ears and minds and hearts. So we can actually, as we hear his word, come to know him. We don't have to go into a spaceship. We don't have to be nuclear physicists and naturalists and microbiologists, or some of us in this room are. But we don't have to be those things to know God. We don't have to be clever at all. We just have to listen. And so the shape of the Christian life is to be somebody who listens. And so if we can come back to our little diagram, we'll see that actually an interesting pattern emerges as you look through church history. You see these emphases sort of start to dominate the church and churches at different times. Uh, so there have been times in church history, for example, when tradition dominated. If you're a Christian in, in the middle of the Middle Ages in the 15th century and so on, you went to church. It wasn't the Bible you were listening to. It was a priest in a special garb speaking Latin. And what mattered was that he had been given the authority to do that from the Pope. And that was what was going to put you in contact with God. And as he gave you little bits of bread and holy water and you went into that special building, that's the thing that mattered. And the reformers like Martin Luther and Calvin and people that you have heard of like that, what they basically said was, come back to the Bible. William Tyndale wanted to put the Bible back into the hands of Christians, translated it into English so that ordinary people, the plowman as he used to call it, the plowboy, could read the Bible for themselves. Why was William Tyndale persecuted by people like Henry VIII? Because he was taking away the power that the church had in tradition and saying, actually, you know, let God speak. So back to the Bible movement. But you might notice that in your own heart as well. So sometimes people will um, have an experience of... Where are we going, Chloe? Um, other, way. other way. Oh, I'm pressing it wrong. Uh, that's it. So Joe this morning talked about his experience of being a Christian and how he had moved from having a kind of emphasis on experience, searching for experience over time to actually delighting in the word. I've got a quote from Joe, and although he's sitting here, I think I'll read it. And it's nice to see that picture of him looking a little bit younger as well. Pre-glasses, pre-children, um, but he has got rid of his long hair at that point. Let me end with this quote from Joe Stanwick. 
When I arrived at university, I was convinced that the Bible was useful for me as a Christian, but I didn't think that it was all I needed for the Christian life. I've been taught growing up that what I should expect was something more, either a supernatural work of the Spirit or fresh guidance from God about how to live my life. But that left me frustrated because I just jumped from experience to experience without feeling satisfied. It was such a breath of fresh air to realise that God had given us all we need in the Bible. I began to know real joy, fulfilment and change as I started to listen to God speak to me in his word. This was the spiritual experience I've been after. And so you might want to think about yourself as you wander home tonight. What is your leaning? Where is your go-to resource for knowledge of God? Jesus said, only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away. Why not taken away? Because as you allow the word of God to be sown in your heart, it is the imperishable word. The word that Peter says in 1 Peter 1, never fails and will take us to the new creation. Shall I just pray? Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you tonight for your generosity in revelation. We thank you that you have not treated us as we deserve and have not left us in ignorance and darkness, but have spoken very, very clearly. Thank you for the way we can see now how creation testifies to you and your glory because you have revealed yourself to us in the Lord Jesus. And we thank you for your word. Thank you that it is indeed more precious than gold. And we pray that we'll be people who listen because you have spoken. And we pray this so that we might see Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.